Welcome to Side Talks. I'm Corey Kraft. I am a programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and upcoming Film Center and Cinema. And I am Rachel Morgan. I, I, maybe I start using my middle name. I'm Rachel Ashley Morgan. No, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. What is this podcast anyway, Corey? Uh, this is a one-stop shop for all things cinema uh, as we approach not only the opening of our own dedicated space, but this year's Sidewalk Film Festival. Tune in to hear you and I bicker, discuss, argue, and just downright get silly with everything uh, that has to do with motion pictures. Party. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. You ready for a five-minute fight? I'm totally ready. Well, not really, but let's do it. Buckle up. Because I'm about to take down one of your uh, favorite films of the last few years. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, This is um, about Nicholas Winding Refn's The Neon Demon, a movie that is not particularly beloved uh, by a mass audience. What with all of the uh, necrophilia and witchcraft and um, uh, surrealism, um, I think it's bullshit. Uh, I I think the movie is complete... Uh, self-indulgent bullshit, uh, shot in Reffin's, uh, latter career, uh, curdled, uh, perfume commercial style that absolutely (laughs) drives me up the wall because, uh, it is empty provocation that says nothing other than, Hey, did you ever stop to think that the fashion industry might be exploitative and filled with assholes. Yes, I did, Nicholas Winding Refn. What else you got? I appreciate that reading of it, but it's incorrect. Okay, this is a me. This is an amazing, super stylish film that's really enjoyable, which tends to be a theme here that when something's fun or enjoyable, you don't like it. <laughs> right, so, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm so, the one who hates hates things. Go it's ahead. It's really awesome to look at. It's a very cool film with a, with a huge female cast, all wonderful to look at. I read this film more than just an implication of the modeling industry, which I think we can all agree is probably a shitstorm. Sure. I read this as an overall sort of celebrity, a commentary on celebrity worship in this country and also a commentary on Los Angeles in a way that's really, really fun and mean spirited and interesting, but also has this sort of essence of what L.A. is laid out in front of you. And it's a really enjoyable time to go sit and watch this film for the what is it, 100 minutes or something? Yeah. Uh, No, uh, it's not. It's not enjoyable Um, (laughs) or at least. I have to give it credit because Refn does know how to push my buttons. And I have to respect a filmmaker who puts one of the most difficult to watch scenes uh, that I've ever seen on film with Jenna Malone's dalliance with a corpse. Yes. Um, that, that was, that's, that's a lot. Uh, so on a visceral level, I have to respect the neon demon for that, but I find the movie interminable. I find the movie uh, empty beyond the sort of shallow, sort of superficial look at L.A. that it presents. I find there to be any number, dozens of other movies that do exactly what you just said better. We've mentioned some of them on this podcast. I'm not necessarily saying it's doing the best job at it of the things that I mentioned. It's doing a very good job at it. And it is really enjoyable and really fun to watch. And again, bathed in this sort of neon glow, hence the title. Mm -hmm. There's eyeball eating. There's girls making out. There's Los Angeles looking awesome. 
It's really, really incredible. And again, also subtextual. I would say he is pushing your buttons intentionally and clearly succeeding. Yeah. And I think he's doing that to a lot of folks. Yeah. He's outspoken. I think the film is outspoken. I don't, I'm not seeing anything quite like it. The films that you mentioned or the films that you're re- referring to, I know what you're talking about. I still think that this one's different than those. Sure. It's different. I don't know if it's different in a successful way. Uh, the Neon Demon reaches a point where it sort of it has established a narrative thrust and the narrative sort of breaks down. The narrative sort of collapses into, you know, just outright surrealism. Sure. And, you know, if you're David Lynch and you're practiced at walking that fine line uh, and you know what you're doing and you're in complete command of your craft, I think you can get away with that. Oh, really? I, I don't think Nicholas Winding Refn is as good a filmmaker. Um, I think he thinks he's a, as good a filmmaker. I think he thinks he pulled off something similar with the Neon Demon. I don't think he's successful at all. He's, it's a different style of surrealism, right? It's a different approach to it. And I mean, these are two very different directors making sure. two very different kinds of film. And I think that, you know, people would argue that that David Lynch meanders and that David Lynch, I mean, I, I'm not trying to get in your face right now about Lynch because I don't even want to deal with that. <laughs> but I am saying that I don't think that because he doesn't do surrealism in a way that you think is better than Lynch doesn't mean that there isn't, I mean, surrealists themselves would say, hey, that's a big world in okay. which to explore. No, I see what you're saying. And that's fair enough. Refn is more inspired by 70s Italian cinema yes. and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think he does that very well. I don't. Oh, I, really? Yeah, and I I'm, I'm going to argue too that this is not an empty film. I think this is actually a loaded film. Hmm. I think it's got all kinds of subtext and all kinds of interesting things happening. And I think it's about female body image. I'm not sure that he's the right person to tell that story, but certainly the women in this film are. Yeah. No, I, I mean that's there certainly. Right. So I, I don't think you can call it empty. I mean, now does it go? Does it take these moments and delve into some pretty deep style and get really, really just sort of like? Let's sit a minute in this crazy looking shit. Yes, it absolutely does. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Okay, Corey gets 300 points for just the phrase curdled perfume commercial because that's exactly what it reminded me of. I just didn't know the words to apply it to. Um, And Rachel says, it's a commentary, but on what? I mean, kind of, I guess, but it's... Like, he leaves the significance up to the viewer. It's just enigmatic enough to apply your own commentary. It could be about the modeling industry being full of assholes. It could be about the weirdness of L.A. and its culture. And I totally agree with Corey that it's superficial and there are other movies out there making the same kind of commentary without being so empty. And it is like Refn is is like store brand David Lynch. So Corey gets points for that. Let's say another 300 points. This was actually the first movie I watched on my new 4K TV when I got it, like right out of the box. And in that circumstance, it was great. It looked amazing and I enjoyed the experience, but looking any deeper, I didn't think it was any deeper than the pixels on the TV. It was just colorful and yeah. So Corey wins for sure. Because most film critics see a movie drenched in neon and just think it's the greatest thing they've ever seen. And Corey goes against the grain on this one. So massive points to that. Swerve. Oh, let me let me be surprised. <laughs> Two men don't like a, a a film filled wall to wall with women. Directed no by a man. Don't play that um. bullshit. Come on. <laughs> and now a look at what we're watching this week. So, Rachel, what are you watching? 
So, um, you know, this one's going to be a little bit Dollsville, I think, when I mention it. But but as you've, you know, said in previous episodes, we are screening for Sidewalk right now, which means a lot of stuff's off the table, yeah. right? So, um, and this will also have sort of be, by the time that this podcast is released, this will be a little bit older, but I think that's good because spoiler alert's coming. Sure. And that is that I went to the theater in a very excited mood to see uh, Ma. Yeah, I haven't seen this yet, and I am interested to. Oh. Uh-oh. I am going to spoil it for you. It's just not very good. And it's a damn shame. Mm. Octavia Spencer's great. This is a great role for her. The trailer's brilliant. The marketing behind this film is brilliant. The sort of, I mean, just, I could just watch her sort of, um, her little text videos on a loop. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't make me drink alone. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really, everything about it and the and the premise for this film is really, really great. But it just falls so flat on its face and it and it doesn't it's as if they made this film and never took a single note Mm. not a single damn note not in pre-production not when they were workshopping the script not when they were shooting it it was like hey let's make this film and whatever's on the page right now at this moment just go do it go do it that's a shame i guess that's the sort of low budget blumhouse model they give filmmakers pretty much carte blanche to go do whatever they want if it's below a certain budget. Jason so- Blum, you're be- you're better than this. Mm. Octavia Spencer, you're better than this. And what that's the thing is, you know what? I have there's you know me. I'm gonna sit here and defend all day and night a, a horror film where I can just shove popcorn in sure. my face. But the but there is so much potential for this to have really really been a wonderful film that could have stood the test of time and something we would revisit and could have been one of the greats. Because there's so much there. It's a low, I mean, just think about, you know, this sort of like on the surface, what the premise of this thing yeah. is. So much there. And it doesn't, it, you know what? It, actually, I'm just going to say it's really not even worthy of any further conversation. Wow. Wow. Um, well, I was looking forward to seeing that. and Sorry and, to ruin it. Well, I may still, but. Um, I mean, you it'll, should. It'll move down my list a little bit. Um, so I've got two movies that I've. Uh, been watching that I want to talk about both sort of about forces of nature Um, yesterday while we were in the middle of screening sidewalk uh, movies Vimeo crashed oh that's right so what what am I going to do I well I'm going to take a break from watching movies and I'm going to go to the movies so we went to the cinema to see uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters giant lizard movie giant lizard movie uh, giant a lot of lizards movie Um, oh more than one Godzilla multiple well multiple critters um uh, <laughs> only one Godzilla. Massive. Only look. Listen. Only one Godzilla. There's a moth. There's a three-headed dragon. There's like a pterodactyl guy. Oh my uh, gosh! Can they put a stuff. little sound effect here of like a? Rawr. Yes. I'm sorry. I just really no. Want that, that that would I'm be sorry. great. So Godzilla King of the Monsters is sort of the third in this monster verse thing that they've been building after the reboot in 2014 in Kong Skull Island a couple years ago. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it is classic uh, monster mash mayhem, um, just these giant monsters beating up on one another um, with, I, I would say, a more gripping than usual human story sort of anchoring things. That's not to say that you're, you know, every scene you're with Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga, you're, gonna, you're not going to be like, okay, let's go back to Godzilla, because of course you are, but you have to spend time with people in these movies. That's a 
prerequisite, unfortunately. Damn, and, I just really want to spend time with the lizard. Well, I mean, I, who's who's going to blame you for that? And you get plenty of, of FaceTime uh, with my big chunky boy uh, in this movie. Um, but <laughs> but you also get plenty of FaceTime with um, Kyle Chandler and the girl who plays Eleven. And you know what? They're pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more interesting than usual. Um, and speaking of sort of... Um, Subtext. There's there's a lot to dig into about uh, what these monsters might represent as far as human effects on the planet that have triggered their um, hmm. or their rising in this movie. Um, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, of course, it's going to culminate next year in um, Godzilla versus Kong, uh, which is directed by Adam Wingard, uh, a Birmingham. Um, Emma Gray. And uh, a former sidewalk scrambler. So that's that's interesting. What did you make for the sidewalk scrambled? Was it Godzilla related? Um, you know what? He's made a bunch of uh, horror films for the scramble, including one that uh, was a lot of fun to watch and nice. involved a, um, a hand and a planter. Oh, cool. So I think it was called like Bag of Murder. So you heard it here first, folks. Uh, you can go from the scramble to a Godzilla movie. Why not? Sure. Um, the other movie is a little bit more down to earth, but it's no less about a force of nature. Uh, I recently caught up with Alex Ross Perry's new film, Her Smell. Nice. Uh, starring Elizabeth Moss as a 90s era sort of alternative girl band um, front woman who, when the film begins, is in the throes of substance-aided madness. Nice. Just tormenting not only her bandmates, but her mom, her ex-husband, her young daughter, this new uh, girl band who look up to her, who really want to learn from her, only to find that she's kind of a raving monster. Um, (laughs) Hmm, Sounds like maybe based on some folks we know in the uh, music world. You know, I think it might be. But this movie, um, it's sort of like a five-act movie. It's, It's split into five extended sequences throughout the years. And the first few are... Elizabeth Moss as a whirling dervish, really going for it, really going for broke uh, in this just big, broad performance. Um, And basically, it is nerve shredding. Hmm. Uh, Really, really impressive work. And then the film, about, I'd say, two-thirds of the way through it, does something interesting that I don't want to spoil, but it goes in a direction uh, that brings the film sort of back down to earth and digs into another side of this character that I think is really, really special. Hmm. Well, this wouldn't be the first time that Alex Ross Perry drops a hammer on us well into a film. Sure. Um, And, of course, a Sidewalk alum, so I am super excited to see this. Um, I would say it ranks up there with his better films. I'm a big fan of his uh, especially his collaborations with Elizabeth Moss. I think the two of them bring out a lot in one another. She is, I mean, if she's going to serve as his muse, for lack of a better term, I'm all for it. Um, and I think it's a big step forward for him as a director, too. Um, they're essentially five very impeccably choreographed with the camera Um cinematography by Sean Price Williams, who's shot essentially every single film that's ever played at Sidewalk um, (laughs) at this rate. Um, Large percentage, at least. Certainly. Um, 
the camera sort of weaving around these chaotic sort of party scenes in uh, some really, really uh, intense and intelligently done ways. So it's absolutely worth checking out. Nice. So now it's time for Cal's Corner. Cal McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. Hey, everybody. It is Kyle. I am not in the studio with the Sidewalk team. Um, I have been on the road, and so I'm doing this on my on my cell phone. I recently found a stack of newspapers. I used to write for my high school's paper in the very, very, very late 90s, and um, it's been quite an eye-opening experience flipping through some of these. Some of these articles, I won't, I have, I don't even have the stomach to read them, but there was one I found here, seemed a little bit relevant to Sidewalk, so I'm going to share it with you, um, although I, I had to admit that I'm sharing it with you, and I'm embarrassed at the same time. So, um, but we'll get through this together. Uh, it's called Kyle's Guide to Horror Flicks by Kyle McKinnon, staff writer. All right, here we go. Horror movies are disgusting, twisted, time-consuming, and plotless, and I love them. Okay, let's stop there. Um, I'm deeply embarrassed that I included both plotless, which is completely untrue. I can't think of a single horror movie that is plotless, so that's just bad writing right there. And also the time-consuming. I would say that 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 combination of words is just space-consuming, as I had a word minimum I needed to hit, and not being a very good writer, I would try to pad it out with things I didn't even necessarily believe, and we just kind of, uh, what I feared someone else might have written, I would be glad to write them down. Uh, okay, back to the article. On that note, this Halloween, take my advice on the greatest films to rent in the horror and suspense genre. They're destined to make you laugh, cry, or cough up blood. Okay, cough up blood was definitely my attempt at trying to be funny. Um, I recall throughout my my time writing for the paper that me and my friend John, who edited the paper, we would often kind of just kind of uh, insert little bits of humor um, in the articles. We really like burying them. Um, one time he wrote, save the Birmingham rainforest, call this number, and it was uh, it was John's phone number uh, to his parents' house. So, um, yeah, so the cough-up blood thing was pretty weak. Uh, I think I'm going to do this again later in the article where I try to, to make a joke, but... Um, yeah, that's that was just uh, that was also just trying to fill space uh, to be able to meet my deadline. Okay, back to the article. The Evil Dead trilogy, which includes Army of Darkness, reigns as my all-time favorite horror slash comedy film series. Bruce Campbell stars as Ash, an average Joe who ends up fighting the undead wherever he goes. The slapstick humor and cheesy one-liners tear apart any film that Jim Carrey has ever made. Okay, um, so I, st- I, I don't know why I call out Army of Darkness. I personally, I think I, 
I like the first two in the trilogy more than I like Army of Darkness. I also think I failed here as a writer in the sense that, like, I lumped the first Evil Dead uh, into this batch of films that I call horror comedy. The first Evil Dead has a wicked sense of humor, but... It's also a dark, dark horror movie. Um, it wasn't really until Evil Dead 2 that Sam Raimi and the team decided to kind of throw a little bit of like a um, slapstick, Three Stooges kind of tone into the film. So I think I was just wrong there. Um, however, I do really, really like the Evil Dead 1 and 2. Army of Darkness, over time, it's been 20 years. Uh, it's just, it's it's okay. Uh, I do look forward to seeing it again, actually, but um, I don't think it holds holds up to the first two. Uh, Okay, back to the article. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive plays a similar role in the silly gore category. Filmed in New Zealand, it tops my list for the most excessively violent zombie film on the blockbuster circuit. Okay, I'm going to pause there. I don't know why I wrote that it's a zombie film on the blockbuster circuit. Uh, That's just totally meaningless. I don't know if that was a... uh, if that was like terminology that was thrown around in the the late 90s, but that was just a waste of um, of print. Okay. For any fans of kung fu fighting priests, this movie will satisfy your interesting perversion. Um, I do kind of like that, that I called out this as an interesting perversion. Uh, okay. Who could forget the Nightmare on Elm Street films? All right, that's a very weak leadoff, but uh, let's let's move on. The original movie revolutionized the teen slasher flick craze. The third in the series, entitled Dream Warriors, attempts to frighten viewers but instead clutters the horror with cheesy lines and bad acting. I recommend viewing it with many people so that you'll not be the only one making fun of it. Uh, I recommend you get a bunch of friends to sit together and read this article so you can make fun of it. Um, yeah, I don't know why I I called out part three specifically as being cheesy. Um, I think it actually stands up pretty well as far as the rest of the um, franchise goes. Um, I don't know why I didn't just spend more time just saying how great the first Nightmare on Elm Street is because it's, uh, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, Rachel and I and um, our filmmaker friend Brett saw it at the Trustville regal movie theater um a few months ago and it was just an utter delight to watch that on the big screen i stand by nightmare on elm street i also stand by nightmare on elm street two and three um all right moving forward the texas chainsaw massacre a significant title in the low budget industry serves as an excellent example of small town violence and bizarre characters who happen to dig cannibalism be sure to stock up on beef jerky if this movie is on your list Okay, uh, another another paragraph where I end it on a, a non-joke. And I also, um, I got to be a little bit critical about how I, I, I placed Texas Chainsaw Massacre within something called the low-budget industry. Um, I don't know. I think I would go back and just call it uh, a really, really, really powerful horror movie. Uh, yes, it was an indie film, but uh, it really transcends most any horror movie I've ever seen. I mean, it ranks as, it, as far as, like, uh, t- to use kind of a hackneyed term, uh, world building goes, it, uh, it has an incredible setting and is full of just, like, unrelenting dread uh, throughout the film. Uh, I love it. Um, I give it my, my 2019 thumbs up. Okay. Uh, For those who enjoy a more structured horror movie, 
uh, oh, excuse me, for those who enjoy a longer and more structured horror movie, I recommend films like The Exorcist, The Shining, The Omen, and Psycho. First, The Exorcist is one of the most disturbing films to hit the mainstream market. All right, mainstream market. I don't know why I like creating industry slang. Okay. It is the story of Reagan, a young girl who is possessed by Satan and who subs- and who consequently causes many deaths. Um, okay, I think that was a pretty weak description of the film, but moving forward. The stunning special effects and powerful theme, Faith Over Reason, place The Exorcist as one of the strongest movies in the horror genre. Um, I love strong horror movies. Okay, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining has been a favorite movie for years. Um, Okay, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, it portrays what happens to a family in the Colorado mountains in the peak of winter. So from if you've never seen The Shining before, you now know that it portrays what happens to a family in the Colorado mountains in the peak of winter. I recommend this film for those who will take the time to pay attention. Otherwise, important points will be missed. I would like to have read an article where I shared what all those important points are. Um, okay. Uh, we're, we're close to the end, by the way. Hitchcock's classic, Psycho, shocked the film world with its portrayal of murder, schizophrenia, and cross-dressing. Psycho impressed me with its constant feel of suspense and its surprise ending. Um, I I cringe at this whole two-sentence paragraph, but especially that I, I had to write that it impressed me. Um, I, I wish I could have been a little bit more descriptive. Runners up in the list that will not leave you unsatisfied, very weak lead off, are Halloween, An American Werewolf in London, The Haunting, and Sleep Sleepaway Camp. Uh, first of all, I'm shocked that I put Halloween in the runner-up section and not in the not in the main body. Uh, I probably would have taken out the Omen uh, and plopped Halloween in there. Uh, American Werewolf in London, that's a fantastic film. The Haunting, it's fine. Uh, Sleepaway Camp, I, I am delighted that I put that in the article. I watched that um, I watched that with uh, my wife and my friends, Brett and April, last Halloween. And um, it, I'd forgotten just how mean that movie is. Um, I feel like, did I talk about this on a previous podcast? I don't recall, but um, it starts off, you think it's going to be kind of like a uh, like a prototype to Wet Hot American Summer, but then it turns into just a, just a mean, mean, sick movie. And so I, I, it brings me a lot of joy that I recommended it to my um, high school companions. Uh, okay, and lastly, I end with... With movies like these on your hands, relax and enjoy the night, and please quit egging my house. Har, har, har. Everyone loved that joke at the end, and they cut the article out and put it up on their refrigerators to show their parents so they could all laugh, too, at how funny I am as a writer. Um, Yeah, so this is... It's kind of hard to read this, but um, I don't know. I, I At least it's fun to see that I was you know trying to share share my love of horror with my with my fellow classmates um i would say that movies i would include now on this list um movies that would i would have seen by then i'd say i definitely would have included hellraiser um 
that's that has I don't know lived on to be one of my favorites. Uh, one movie I did not like at the time, and I, I definitely would have um, bashed in an article, uh, is Demons, the Italian horror film. Um, but I think Demons rules, and I've watched it probably like four times all the way through in the past year and a half. So um, add that to the mix, and also the Brian De Palma sissy spacex movie Carrie, based on Stephen King's novel. Um, I definitely had seen it by that time, and I don't understand why I didn't include that in this article. Um, I have a few more titles I would probably include as well that I'm pretty sure I had not seen but would have been sitting on the shelves at the video store. Those being uh, Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, um, Black Christmas, which is arguably the best slasher film of all time, uh, predated predated Halloween by like five or six years maybe um, and was definitely a strong influence on it and uh, let's see I guess Scream would have come out right around this time so I probably wouldn't have included that actually but anyways that's my uh, that's what I was like writing in high school um, I hope I've gotten a little bit better and I, uh, I'm considering sharing some more articles with you in the future that's to be determined. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Kyle McKinnon, and this is Kyle's Guide to Horror Flicks. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. And now, fast film terms. I like to say it really fast. Okay. You ready? Fast film terms. Fast film terms. So the fast film term is going to be Foley Sound. Do you know what Foley Sound is? Um, vaguely, but enlighten me. So um, there was this dude named Jack Foley, uh-huh. I do believe, and he was the most famous Foley artist. And what this has to do with is, you know, when you're shooting a film, television program or otherwise, one of the things you generally want to do, it generally involves two people talking. If it's a mumblecore film, it just involves two people talking. But um, it usually involves two people talking. And so getting clean dialogue is super important. And so oftentimes when you're doing that, when you're on the set doing that, you're isolating dialogue. You're, you know... You don't hear the footsteps. You don't hear the plane in the background. That's the hope, right? But then when you get back to the edit suite and you start watching it, it sounds really weird Mm because it's like very clean dialogue. So if you've gotten that clean dialogue you wanted, you still have to now go back in and add in footsteps, leaves, wind, and so on and so forth to a degree that you can control it, right? So to be as fast as I can here... um, but, which is not very fast, right, is that uh, people come back in and they walk to actual footsteps. Not even, that, not even the actors, but the Foley artist. So that's oftentimes why they're called a walker. So a Foley artist might, say, stab a watermelon to provide the sound effect for when Michael Myers is stabbing one of his victims on screen. Absolutely. Or punch a steak. That's nice. another thing I like a lot. Nice. That's what a Foley artist does. What's this shit? I'm trying something different. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're, <laughs> which um, one do you like better? Do you like, what's this shit? Or do you like, what's this shit? I mean, I kind of like that. (laughs) Okay, well, what's this shit's going to be a quick one? Because you're going to know it right away because it is nerd fest up at the jump. (laughs) So I'm in there. I'm on the tread. I'm just letting it go. And I look on the screen and what do I see but a very, very beautiful woman. So, you know, what a nice day in the gym when you get to look at Wonder Woman. So it's Wonder Woman? No, it was not. Oh. Apparently her ass is in some other, I'm assuming, Marvel stuff. DC stuff. Please. Please. Oh, whoops. Oh, gosh. Ooh, oh, no. I'm going to get. The nerd rap. Finally, we're going to get an email at podcast at sidewalkfest.com. <laughs>
Here it comes. So anyway, I need to know what this is. I will say I don't have a lot to give you because I am very, very distracted by the beautiful, beautiful woman that is Wonder Woman. Okay, so there are two choices. And if it's not the film Wonder Woman, it's Justice League. One more clue for you. Okay. There's a cremaster, if anybody knows the sort of Matthew Barney reference that that hardly anybody in the world is going to know. <laughs> you talking about pre-master. Matthew Barney in relation to Justice League? <laughs> yes, I am. So damn what? Whatever. Is anybody from MoMA listening right now? No. We'll move on. <laughs> so it's a cremaster looking creature and it's up in Wonder Woman's face. But my question to you is how does anybody watch these films when she's on the screen? Like how do you follow any kind of storyline without just being totally mystified by this woman's presence? The, the fortunate thing is Justice League has no storyline to speak of. Oh. oh, I see. This is a little bit of a sort of like comic book war thing. I mean, a comic book, like get the team together to fight the monster, the cremaster monster. Um, it's terrible. It's terrible. And so which one is this again? It's Justice League. It has to be, unless it's Wonder Woman. It doesn't sound like it is. It's not Wonder Woman. I've seen that. I know that. So, yeah. Yeah. She's only in Justice League until Wonder Woman 1984 comes out next year. Um, Yeah, a really bad movie. Yeah, Um, it's bad. You you take the, the Batman and the Superman and the Wonder Woman and the Flash and all those guys, and you put them in... Uh, a really, really bland movie that about half about half of which was reshot. Okay. By well, Joss Whedon. So I'm bored and I'm confused. We'll leave it at that. I was bored and confused too, but Wonder Woman is nice. All right, it is time for the filmmaker lightning round. That's a lightning sound effect. Do you like it? It's not. Hmm. It's not a lightning sound effect. That's like a like a chicken. Yeah, it kind of is. All right, go ahead. Uh, Hit me. I'm ill-prepared. Today, it was announced that my boy, David Lynch, uh, will be receiving an honorary Academy Award at this year's ceremony. Uh, he has never won one in competition um, for this some is well stupid deserved. reason. Yeah, he, this he, is well-deserved. He deserves and, it. You know, who else is working as deeply in surrealism as he is? I mean, it's, it's deserved. Okay, it's, so It's deserved, but that is the filmmaker, of course, uh, for today's lightning round. So a movie Hit me of with it, bitch. David Lynch's That You Love. Wild at Heart. Wow. I know, I know, I know, I know. I knew that was going to rattle your cage a it, little bit. It did rattle me a little bit. I love Wild at Heart. It's so freaking nasty, horrible, yeah. strange, mean, nihilistic. I can keep going with this list. I really love it. Willem Dafoe and this is the most terrifying oh, yeah. anybody's oh, God, ever yeah. been on screen. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you know mine's Small Island Drive. Yeah, um, I like it. Very it's different film. Very strangely. different film. Uh, goes a little bit, you know, beyond. Yeah. Um, uh, but Buffalo I, hunting. Yeah. I'm sorry I just had to do that. <laughs> a, a great movie. A great movie. Um, but I, I guess I should preface the next thing by saying there are no David Lynch movies that I dislike. Even hmm. Dune. Hmm. I love uh, pretty much all of his movies. Dune is obviously flawed. Uh, but I like Dune yeah. a lot. I wouldn't say dislike. I don't like. I don't dislike anything either. I, you know. I like some more than others. Sure. Fair? So, so that is um, the next question. A movie yeah. that you um, that that maybe more pe- uh, other people like more than you do. Oh, there, there's probably a lot of those. Okay. Um, and I would actually say that people who like Mulholland Drive get real up in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And I probably am not gonna, you know, I'm probably not gonna go totally there with them because, again, my first choice here is something like Wild at Heart. Sure. Um, so maybe I would say Mulholland Drive, even though I'm all due respect, and that is a great, great film. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have an answer to this question myself. 
Um, yeah, the straight story. Yeah. Everybody loves that. Oh, God, I'm love just that. kidding. I love the straight story. I'll... Well, yeah, nobody could love it more than you, so that's not a good answer. <laughs> it's impo- impossible. Fair enough. A movie of his um, that you uh, need to rewatch, besides all of them. <laughs> Can I just say an, a movie of his I don't ever need to watch again? Uh, sure. A razor head. I'm, oh, wow. Whatever. I just want to get you angry, first of all. But second of all, I just don't need to see it again. It's intense. It's intense. It's sad. It's a little like watching somebody kick a puppy at times. And I saw it a lot. I saw it a lot in film school. Yeah. I'm I'm done. Well, if you've been exposed to it a lot, I can see not wanting to go back to it. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, I need to see Lost Highway again. It's I, good. I've only seen it once. Um it is a movie that felt at the time like him sort of putting the pieces together for Mulholland Drive, which I think mm. is is superior. It's kind of similar in structure, as I recall. Um, but really, honestly, the thing I remember most about that movie is Robert Blake. He was yeah. the scariest thing in the world. Oh, man. I mean, second to Willem Dafoe, but still the scene where he's like, call, you know, call me, I'm at your house is just like. I can't even imagine a film working at that level that just was at that level the whole way through. Does that make sense? Like you just isolate that one scene and it's just so chilling that I don't think you can make a movie that a movie that consistently chilling without, you know, I don't know, scaring everybody off the planet. Yeah. And what's the fourth question? Sorry. I don't know. But whatever, whatever it is, the answer is Twin Peaks Firewalk with me because I love it. Oh, I love it too. It's a masterpiece. Um, I know there's a fourth question that I usually ask. Well, that's it. That's the answer. Sure. Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Uh, how great, by the way, is Twin Peaks The Return? It's good. No, that wasn't we the question. We can argue about that later. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we may we need We can to. argue about that later. We may it's need good. to. Um, a masterpiece. Okay, that, that's enough about David Lynch other than um, hooray for honorary Oscars. Hooray for David Lynch. Hooray for Twin Peaks. Hooray for the lightning round. Hur- <laughs> and now it's time for the film minute with Charlie Brown. Hey, everybody. So today I'm going to talk to you guys about another film on the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list. This film is a um, first for lots. It's a first film shot entirely on location. It's MGM's first feature length film, and um, it's called Greed. It was released in 1924, and it's uh, one of the silent film era classics. It was written and directed by a guy named Eric von Stroheim. And he is an Oscar-nominated actor. You might remember him as Max from Sunset Boulevard, the butler. So, okay, von Stroheim is a real interesting guy because he was born in Austria in 1885, and his father was a hat maker. So he grew up really middle class, but then at 21, he immigrated to America. And on arrival at Ellis Island, he claimed to be Count Eric von Oswald Hans Karl Maria von Stroheim, the son of Austrian nobility. By the time he landed in Hollywood, though, he had adapted the identity of a Prussian officer, complete with a monocle. In 1919, von Stroheim approached Goldwyn Pictures about adapting Frank Norris's book McTeague into a film. This story is about a woman's lust for money and how it leads her dentist husband to commit murder. The selling point of his pitch to the studio was that he wouldn't need to build any sets. He would be shooting everything on location. So the studio gave him a budget of $175,000 and a deadline of 14 weeks. At the time, typical Hollywood movies featured glamorous actors and happy endings only. That's it. What the studio did not know was Stroheim's vision was to make a realistic film about everyday people and the bleak despair of daily life. And he took his devotion to the novel to an unimaginable level. 
For instance, scenes were shot in the very places named in the book, including two months spent camping in Death Valley in the middle of the summer. Temperatures were like 120, and the cameras had to be wrapped with cold towels. Many of the cast and crew were hospitalized. Others mutinied. Von Stroheim slept with a pistol. While filming one fight scene, he directed the actors, Fight! Fight! Hate each other as much as you hate me! So after 200 days of shooting, he had 85 hours of footage, and he had spent $750,000, which is about $10 million today. And then he presented the studio with a nine-hour movie. And then they rejected it. So he cut it down to six hours and they rejected it. And he cut it down to four hours and they rejected it. And finally, they just turned it over to an editor who turned it into a two-hour normal movie, which he disowned. But to fulfill contractual obligations, it was shown one time only in its nine-hour presentation. And von Stroheim sat in the audience upright, just in defiance that you could watch this movie in one sitting. Anyway, Greed was a failure at the box office, obviously, but today it's acclaimed for its introduction in deep focus cinematography and montage editing. And the missing footage from the film is dubbed the Holy Grail of Cinema. So if you want to see it, Greed is in the public domain online. Thank you so much for listening. This is like your own podcast version of Freddy versus Jason. Who am I? What do you mean? You're Jason. Well, that's I'm Freddy, bitch. That's, that's better than what I thought you were going to say. I was one of the teens in the cornfield <laughs> who gets like eviscerated. Ooh, I missed that. Yeah. I missed that opportunity. Oh, well. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, we've got to thank a couple people. We have to thank Boutwell Studios for making us sound really, really good. And for things like um, putting up with me doing things like meow, 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 <laughs> into a microphone. Yeah, I don't see how they do it. Um, oh man, it's miserable. Uh, also, thanks to Splash ninety six for our great theme music. We love it so much. Uh, visit us on social media as well at Sidewalk Film on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and whatever else there is. We're selling uh, tickets to our festival, by the way, uh, which is coming up Get in em. August. You should you should consider purchasing one or several for yourself. Uh, your loved ones, people you see on the street, just get them a VIP pass. You might as well just drop that coin. Uh, drop it now, though, while you still can to get a good price on it. And we would love to know what you think in this particular case about the film Twilight. So give us a little hashtag side talks and let us know what you think about the beautiful, beautiful Robert Pattinson. You thought I was gonna. You thought I was going Kristen Stewart there, didn't you? I, well, I mean that would be in keeping for you but you, you swerved a little bit you I twisted did. it a little bit I'm trying bit. to keep people on their toes that's fair that's fair uh, rate and review us on iTunes if you could or whatever the thing is now since iTunes is going away um, give us five stars leave us a review tell us that we're good uh, I need that validation in my life um, I really don't hear that very much I, I don't want to get into it but my, my childhood was pretty rough um, so if you could uh, give us five stars. That would mean a lot. I'm tearing up as I say this. Also, you know who wins Freddy versus Jason, right? Uh, Freddy. Okay. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>